Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I want you to think for just a moment, though, about how you got here, not not like who invited you or like how you entered the world. I want you to think about how you got here this morning. Chances are you passed a lot of road signs, yeah? And uh, maybe they look like this, probably not all jumbled up like this is, but uh, a lot of you know, random signs. But we pass signs every single day in our world, so much so that sometimes they're just kind of like white noise. And there's two kinds of people in this room right now. You are either the type of person that completely obeys these signs or you're the type of person that is like, well, it's kind of a suggestion, right? In particular, the stop sign. Let's talk about this one for just a moment. There are people in this room that when they see a stop sign, they will come to a full and complete stop. And there are other people in this room who abide by the unwritten rule that any stop sign with a white outline is optional. And so when you come to a stop sign, you're like, wow, this one's optional. And you just keep going, right? You just kind of roll through, no full and complete stop. And here's the other thing. These two groups of people are very annoyed with one another. If you're a complete stopper and you see someone roll through the stop sign, you're thinking in your mind, Man, that person, they're a jerk. Like, they could, they could cause some serious damage to somebody. Good thing I am a complete and full stopper. You're a good citizen. You've done your job. And those of you that roll through stop signs, you know, the nice little break and roll, you look at the people who come to a complete and full stop, and you're wondering why they aren't just going. Because there's no indication that there's any car anywhere else coming. And if it gets really bad, you will honk that horn, won't you? Yeah, those are the two types of people in this room when you see signs. And the signs are confusing sometimes. They get that merge sign, seem to confuse a lot of people in our area. And uh, the U-turn sign is like the no U-turn. You're always like, no U-turn. I I break that one all the time because if you got screaming kids in the back of your car and you have passed your destination, guess what? You're turning around as quickly as possible. It doesn't matter what the sign says. But here's the thing about the signs that we experience in our world. Whether you realize it or not, I find it really interesting that we give a lot of authority to the signs that we see. And these signs are typically and usually backed up by some kind of authority, right? So the road signs that we see in our world, right, they're backed up by the laws that govern those signs. We know that if we break one of those signs that we then have to face the authority that is behind it, right? But it's not just those kinds of signs that are on the road. Signs are literally everywhere. We see them all over the place. We experience them in new and fantastic ways over the last two years. Uh, Like signs that said, hey, uh, masks required. Like that immediately, some of you just went like your blood just went, you're like, (gasps) right? Like you 
tensed up a little bit when I said that, but that created such an interesting dynamic in our world, right? Because there were people who like lived by that sign and then people who were like, eh, it's optional. The six feet apart signs that are literally plastered all over the earth. How many of you, like you got the eye from somebody who was in within five and a half feet of you, right? Like, like I would be in line and somebody would... And I realize apparently I'm in their space, okay? Now, some of you are laughing at that, but realize there are people in this room that were doing that. They were the ones going like that, right? And some of you know who you are, and that's fine. It's fine. I'm not judging, not judging at all. That's just how it is, right? So signs are usually backed by some authority, and we tend to, we tend to give authority to the sign. We say we can't do something because there's a sign. The sign dictates how we live. In fact, we change our behavior based on how we respond to these signs. For example, if we go up to a cash-only place, like if you're shopping and you see a sign, like I do sometimes, and it's a handwritten note, which has really good authority, by the way. Handwritten notes, love them. A handwritten sign, cash-only. Guess what? I'm going to change my behavior because I never have cash in my pocket. I can't get it. I don't know my PIN number. There's not a way. The only way I get cash is if my wife gives it to me, which never happens, okay? So I do not have, so I change my behavior. I'll go somewhere where I can actually use my card, right? So that's how we change our behavior sometimes. Enter and exit signs. This causes a lot of friction. Happened this week. Witness it firsthand. Someone was coming in an exit door, and someone was going out the exit door. And this person going out the exit door made a comment to the person coming in the exit door. Like, this is an exit. Okay. To a mom carrying a car seat, a kid, and uh, the diaper bag had the full load coming in the exit door. But this man, very upset, she's coming in the exit door, right? Signs change our behavior with that. By the way, just as a side note, we all understand that doors open, right? And that you can go out of a door and you can go in the same door. Does everybody understand that? But we give a lot of authority to the sign. We would say, oh, well, there's a sign, right? So we let the sign determine things. We really like signs, actually, if you think about it. We like signs. We like signs because they give us direction. They give us uh, like ways and avenues with which we go through life. We like signs because they allow us to judge other people. Because we can say, oh, they're, they're, they follow the sign. They don't follow. They think they're above the sign. Oh, they're, they're rebellion against the sign. Like we, we judge people based on their signs. We like signs. It makes us feel good. We really like signs that benefit us. We like signs like my favorite might be employees must wash hands. Love that sign. It's a great sign. I wish that there was a sign next to it that said, and you too. That would be helpful because a lot of people that ignore that. So we like these signs. We like signs that let us know things. Like if you're going to a gas pump, hey, it's closed, it's out of order, awesome. You go to a bathroom stall, out of order. That's appreciated. We like to know that in advance because when you open a stall door and you find out for yourself it's out of order, it's not good. Now that you have that visual in your mind, we are going to progress. The thing is, we like these signs, and not just for living socially, but we really like signs in our own 
personal lives as well. When we have to make decisions, when there's situations in our life that come up that feel out of our control, maybe you've experienced that. I think we all have, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Things happen in our life and we start looking around and we start saying, man, if only God would show me a sign. And we start asking that question either in our situation or if it's something that we maybe we are not sure if we should do. You've probably asked a question similar to this. God, if you want me to, or you fill in the blank, or God, if this is on you and you fill in the blank, will you show me a sign? You ever asked that question before? I have. I've asked that question a lot in my life. I grew up in church. This was kind of standard for us. If you grew up in church, if you had like a youth group growing up as I I went to a private Christian school and so this was like a thing God if you want me to date that girl will you give me a sign by letting her break up with her boyfriend like that's what you ask you ask God for that sign God if you want me to go on that mission trip when I walk outside God will you just show me will there be a, a cloud in the sky that's like shaped like a heart or a plane and then I'll know that you want me to go on the mission trip we ask God for signs like this and it doesn't stop there. I know it sounds silly, but it doesn't stop there. Because as we get older, we do the same. Right? God, if you want me to quit my job, God, if that's really of you, to quit my job, will you show me by giving me a sign that my boss will just mouth off at me one more time, and then I'll know that you want me to quit, right? Like, that's what we do sometimes. It comes to our faith as well. God, if, if you really want me to, like, give to this church, if you really want me to like give to our community and to those in need, God, will you give me a raise and then I'll know that that's what you want me to do. We play that card, yeah. God, if you really want me to be in community, if you really want me to serve in this church, God, somebody has to stop me in the hallway and then, and then I'll know that that's what you want me to do. God, if this is the church where you want me to be a part of, if you want me to continue coming here, God, would you allow the pastor on stage to use the word dispensationalism and then I'll know that that's where you want me to go. So if that was your prayer this morning, it has been answered. Welcome. Likewise, some of you, some of you might have prayed, God, if this is where you don't want us to be, let the pastor use the word dispensation. So now it's very confusing for all of you. But this is what we do with signs. We do this. We're asking questions because we're in this series about, is it okay to ask questions? Is it okay in our faith to question the things that, that really deep down we're just not sure about. Can we come to God with our questions? And we have discovered over the last two weeks that a questioning faith is a growing faith, that God welcomes that because that interaction is, is, is heartbeat. He loves that. And last week we answered a lot of questions that a lot of you have had. You guys gave us questions. Pastor Terry and David kind of looked at those and answered a lot of those. If you missed the last two weeks, I encourage you to go online or app and watch those because I think there's really good stuff there. Today, we're going to continue with that idea with this question that I really believe we have all asked. And I believe that because we've been asking it since the beginning creation of the world. We've been asking God for a sign. I see it throughout scripture. In fact, God is the one that actually gave us signs. If you think about Noah and when God flooded the earth and then the ark rests, God gave us a sign in, in the rainbow that was a promise. And so whenever we see that, we think of the promise of God that he gave us. And we also uh, see it in scripture as we progress in the book of Judges. We see them asking for a sign. Gideon specifically was someone who asked God to give him a sign, laid out a sheep's cloth. He said, God, if this is of you, what you want me to do, then what I need you to do is I need this to be wet and the ground to be dry and vice versa. And God 
did that for him. God gave him that sign. And we see that all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament especially. And then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, man, it gets crazy. Because now stuff's happening all the time. Blind people can see. Deaf people can hear. Lame people can... Like it's, it's crazy. There are signs all over the place. Everywhere. And yet, people are still asking this question. We need a sign. So we're going to take a look today at one incident that is, is kind of broad. So I hope you stay with me. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 15. It says this. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Again, all these amazing miracles. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking. I mean, who wouldn't be? The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. Of course they would. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people, this great crowd that was in front of him. They have already been with me for three days. Can you imagine witnessing that for three days? That's incredible. And they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they might collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. So he had the crowd sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and we had given thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples and they in turn to the people and they all ate and they were satisfied that means completely full it wasn't like oh I'll take some it was like they were full right full-on buffet afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over the number of those who ate was four thousand men besides women and children after Jesus had sent the crowd away he got into the boat and went into the vicinity of Megiddo. So here we see Jesus doing this amazing, incredible thing. And if it sounds familiar, it, it might because it happened before. The disciples have now witnessed this on two occasions. Last time, just a few chapters before, it was 5,000 people. There were 5,000 men, plus women and children, that Jesus did this exact same thing for. And then you fast forward and here they are witnessing him doing it again for 4,000 in the same way. It's an absolutely incredible thing. Jesus healing people, feeding people. Like this is insane what Jesus is doing at this moment. Now last time after the 5,000, that's when we get the story, the nice epilogue, where Jesus uh, sends his disciples ahead. They get in a boat and then Jesus walks on the water. You might remember that story. Jesus is walking on the water and then Peter walks on water, right? That's a nice follow-up after that one. This time we have a different thing take place as they get into this boat. Now Matthew records all of this in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And as we talked about last week, these, these two things are not in contradiction, but rather to get a full picture and full context, they are complementary. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew's account and the Gospel of Mark's account and putting them together to get a fuller picture. I highly encourage you to read both of them uh, maybe later this week. Here's what Mark indicated. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. So he does his... 4,000 feeds them all, lots left over. They get in the boat, they travel over. And then the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And get this, 
He sighed deeply. If you're a parent, you know exactly what that is, right? He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. Can you believe that? Like, that's, that's Jesus' response. Seems a little harsh. We'll talk about it in a sec. But just like he gets there, and as soon as he gets there, these religious leaders, right, they know his reputation. They know what's going on. They immediately ask, hey, we need a sign from heaven. Matthew's account gives us a little bit more detail. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus. Now, these two groups of people actually have different belief systems. They still believe in the same God. They're both Jewish religious leaders. They differ on some points, but they are united 100% in their opposition to Jesus and asking him and testing him about who he is. So they come to Jesus and ask him to show them a sign where? From heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, You say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus got and left them and went away. Gets in his boat and goes. So here we have the same instance. In one instance, we have it basically Jesus saying, I can't with you anymore. Bye. And he leaves. And the other, we get a nice little brief answer where he's just like, listen, you can, you can look at the sky and you can figure out the weather. You, you know when it's going to rain. You know when it's going to storm. And yet, here you have the Son of God himself. I am clearly doing all of these things. And you are looking at me and you are asking for a sign. You can't see what's right in front of you? And now the Pharisees, these religious people, I understand their position. Because we, as we said, we, we do it all the time. We give authority to signs. So they were looking for some sign from heaven. Completely dismissing what they have already witnessed. They're looking for a sign from heaven. I don't know what that would be. I don't know what the distinction is. A sign from heaven versus all the things that Jesus had already done. And maybe we could say, well, that's really harsh of Jesus. He could give them some sort of sign from heaven, whatever it is. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he just gets in his boat and he leaves. And these religious people are like... What do you think is going through their mind? Well, he didn't give us a sign, right? I don't know what it is. So, no walking on water after this instance, but let's look at what happens next. In Mark chapter 8, it says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another, and they said, It's because we have no bread. So, That's interesting to me, I think, because they didn't quite get what he was saying, and I'm not sure that I do either. Like, what's the correlation in that moment? Hey, we're in the boat. We don't have any bread. And then Jesus says, hey, beware of their bread. Are they bad cooks? They don't know how to bake? Does it taste funny? Like, what is it, right? And they're like, well, he's saying that because we we don't have any bread. And then Jesus clarifies, aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And and don't you remember? Then he quizzes them a little bit. 
Let's, let's put all this in context, Jesus says. When I broke the five loaves for 5,000, you remember that? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. Good. And when I broke seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So question, do you understand? I still don't. Just being honest. This is very confusing for me. So I've been sitting with this a lot. Um, so Matthew gives us a, a little more clarification as well. He says this, how is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? I'm not talking about physical bread, Jesus says. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's interesting. Whenever you see yeast in scripture, nearly always it's referring to sin. It's referring to the idea that sin can creep in and just spread and ruin everything. Just like yeast does in dough. Same kind of thing. So Jesus is saying, beware of their yeast. Beware of their sin. Now, if I'm a disciple and I grew up in this culture, the religious leaders were the authority. The religious leaders were the ones who didn't have sin. There's no way they could have sin. So what is Jesus talking about? Because those people are closer to God than anybody else. So why should we beware of their teaching? If they're the ones that hold the law, they're the ones that interpret Scripture for everyone else. Why would he say that? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So that's interesting. He's warning them, beware of their teaching. And this is right after this incident that just happened where they just asked him for a sign. And I'm thinking about this, like what is the correlation in all of this? What is he talking? Why is he telling them? What is it that he's telling them to be aware of? And there's one detail that I just want to go back to that Mark mentioned. This one detail that I think is pretty interesting. Remember he said the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And then Jesus quizzes them on how much was left over. Now, I'm not trying to read into this. I'm not trying, like, this is just how my brain works, okay? So stay with me. But if Jesus had just performed a miracle feeding 4,000 people and they had seven giant baskets left over full of food and they get in the boat and there's only one loaf of bread for 13 people, it begs the question, what happened to all the rest of it? Have you ever thought about this? The generous person was like, oh, they sent it with all the people. And that's probably what they did. They probably looked at it all like, what are we going to do with all this leftover food? Now Jesus wants to go to the other side of this lake. Maybe we should like, are we going to have to load all this up? Are we going to have to unload it over there? That sounds crazy. Look, just leave it all. Just leave it. Well, what are we going to do for lunch? We'll take one loaf for all 13 of us. And if we get hungry, he'll take care of it. That's, that's how my brain works. It's almost like they're like, hey, all we need is one. Jesus will multiply. He's already done it twice for thousands of people. Surely he can do it for 13 of his best friends, right? No big deal. So they get in the boat with their one loaf of bread. Hey, uh, can you give us a sign from heaven? Oh, that's, you guys are, uh, nope, can't. <sighs> Back in the boat, we only have one loaf of bread. What's he talking about? And Jesus says, beware their teaching. I wonder if it's the teaching that, man, they keep asking for a sign. They keep looking for Jesus to prove himself. They keep looking for, man, the sign has the authority. 
And Jesus said, nope, you're not getting any signs. Well, here's the thing. We, we all ask for signs. We all ask for questions. But sometimes the answer is right in front of us and we don't even see it. Jesus has spoken very clearly to us. Scripture speaks very clearly to us about things. And we are asking God for signs. Should I forgive this person, God? If so, give me a sign that I'll, they'll call me and then I'll know that that's what you want me to do. God, if you really want me to reconcile with that person, then we'll cross paths one day at Target. I just know it. Now be my sign that I know that's what you want me to do. No. You understand that our God is a God of reconciliation and a God of forgiveness. You don't need a sign to know what to do in that situation. You don't have to ask for that. God, there's some sin in my life. There's stuff happening. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I can just let go of it just yet. So, man, God, if you really want me, if this is really a problem for you, God, you would reveal that to me in a sign, and then I would know that I should seek forgiveness for it. Then I would know to repent of that. And it's like I say, no, 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 you don't need that. It's right in front of you. Beware the teaching of those religious leaders that would have you continue to look for a sign when you already have all that you need right in front of you. These religious leaders were looking the Son of God right in the face and said, that's not enough. And as followers of Jesus, do we do the same? No sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Well, that's a great question. What is that? There's one other case where Jesus was asked for a sign, and he explained that a little bit more. So I want to take a look at that. It's before this happened. Back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation, there it is again, asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what is that? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah, by the way, was like a thousand years before Jesus. And now something greater than Jonah is here. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, you, you want a sign. The people of Nineveh didn't get it. They didn't get me. They only got a message and they repented. You have me and nothing. You want the sign of Jonah? The sign is the empty grave. That's the sign. The empty grave is the only sign that we need. That is the ultimate authority over everything. The sign that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have life with him forever, that he conquered death, that he defeated sin that's the only sign that we need. He is the ultimate authority. We give, we give signs authority. This is all the authority that we would ever need. So if you're looking for somebody to trust, don't put your trust in a sign. Put it in the person of Jesus. Before it was signs, right? God, are you in this situation? Give me a sign in this situation, God, so I know that you're in it. And now Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not just in a situation. When I die and I, and I rise again, you get the Holy Spirit when you believe in me. And now it's not just God, are you in this? It's God in me. Big difference. The authority is in me. The Holy Spirit speaking to me. 
telling me, calling me out on my disobedience, showing me what I should be doing, showing me where I need to make a change in my life. And I can hear that, and I can see it, and I can feel that, and I can completely ignore it, and I can say, God, no, that's not enough. I need another sign. That is what Jesus was warning them about. Let that not be true of us. That where Jesus speaks clearly through his spirit to us, through his word, that we wouldn't ask for more, that when we look at this, when we spend time in his word, we wouldn't look and say, well, I'm not, that might be an optional stop sign. We don't need any more. This, this is it. His spirit is it. We're not our own anymore once you're a follower of Jesus. Paul indicated as such in 2 Corinthians. He said this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, again, the ultimate authority, that the one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. Why? So that those who live, that's you and I, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, once we weren't sure about him, once we asked him for signs all the time, but we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is a follower of Jesus, therefore, if anyone has asked him for forgiveness and decided that they want to surrender their life to him, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You don't need to keep asking for a sign. The empty grave is it. You can have the abundant life now. So don't sit around on your hands and wait. Don't ask him for a sign about what you know. The Spirit of God is there. You pray, he'll reveal it to you. You read his word, he'll reveal it to you. Where do we need to just release? Some of us, listen, I get it. I like signs. We all do. At the end of the day, though, there are things that God has revealed to me about myself, sin in my life, God has shown me uh, relationships that need to be restored. God has shown me things where maybe I have blind spots in my life and I need other people to speak. Listen, God speaks to you through his spirit the same way he speaks to me if you're a follower of Jesus, through his word, through prayer. Listen, we don't need to ask for a sign for him to, the sign is the empty grave. If Jesus is who he says he is, that's all I need. And then I just start living it out. I let go of it. I say, God, I am sorry. I've just been using, I've been using it as an excuse, waiting around to not do anything or not make that change because I've just been waiting for a sign. And Jesus is like, I, I gave you one. I gave you me. I am the authority. And listen, that should be a freeing thing. Like that's not meant to hold us back. That's meant to propel us. uh, That ultimate sign doesn't just change our behavior. It changes our hearts. It changes the trajectory of our eternity. It changes the relationships that we have with one another. It changes how we love our community. It changes how we love him. So what would it be like if we just live knowing that Jesus is the sign of that we need. He is the authority. That empty grave is the same promise that you and I can share in. 
And what would it be to just start living that out? That's what I want to find out every day. I want to ask him every day. These aren't my hands, they're his. Or my feet, they're his. What am I holding on to that I just, I just need to let go of? I don't need a sign for it. I know it. I just need to let go of it. And let him work through me and around me and in me. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the empty grave. And forgive us when we say it's not enough. Forgive us when we look straight into your face and you've spoken to us and we say, yeah, but God, will you forgive us of that? Will you not let us fall into that trap of these super holy religious leaders who thought they knew it all? God, I'd rather be like the disciples, just really confused in the boat but ultimately trusting you. May we see you as the one authority in our life. May your spirit, God, that you have given us, if we're followers of you, speak clearly. And may we just be obedient to it. We don't need to ask for follow-up. Just be obedient. God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, that doesn't have that relationship with you, that hasn't trusted you with the empty tomb yet, God, would you speak clearly to them that they can have forgiveness, that they can know you personally through your son, that all they need to do is open their heart, ask for forgiveness, and invite you to lead them every step of the way, to surrender their life to you. God, would you do that? And for those of us who have, who have made that decision, maybe it got stale. Maybe we, we find ourselves in the position of the super holy. We're just, we just looking for something. We're sitting around waiting for you to show up, and you've already been there this whole time. God, would you bring us back to you? And would you change us? For our hearts, for the people around us, for our world. God, we love you. We love the story that you write in us. And we love Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.